0: Social media has caused an explosion of this compare and despair when you're trying to look at other people's social media profiles and then comparing yourself to theirs and feeling that you're not measuring up.
1: Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika Chakrabarti, and I'll be your host. On this episode, we'll be learning more about imposter syndrome in the digital age, and under a pandemic lockdown. Imposter syndrome describes feelings of severe inadequacy and self-doubt that can leave people fearing that they will be exposed as a fraud, usually in their work lives. The coronavirus has affected all of our work lives. Frontline workers like doctors, nurses, supermarket workers, bus drivers, they're all dealing with the possibility of catching the virus every single day. For those new to working at home, it's a challenge to work in isolation without company or feedback. For those of us used to working at home and freelancing, we're seeing our clients panicking and work drying up. What we can still see are other people's successes on social media. We see the highlights, never the full story, and that's a recipe for experiencing imposter syndrome. On this episode, my guest is author and psychologist Dr Richard Orbayostin, whose new book, Own Your Greatness, is all about tackling the stories we tell ourselves when we experience imposter syndrome. Dr. Orbe Austin earned his PhD in counselling psychology from Fordham University in 2006, and he's a licensed psychologist in the state of New York. Let's hear what he has to say.
0: I'm Richard Orbe Austin. I'm a partner and co-founder of Dynamic Transition Psychological Consulting, LLP, a career and executive coaching consultancy based in New York City. The name of our book is Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, Beat Self-Doubt, and Succeed in Life. I am a co-author with my wife, Lisa Orbe Austin. It is a book that creates and develops and discusses the formula to defeat imposter syndrome. So we've developed a formula called the 3C Strategy to Defeat Imposter Syndrome. The 3C stands for clarify, choose, and create. And by using the nine-step technique, you're able to neutralise, overcome imposter syndrome and live your best life possible. It's available now.
1: How might the emotions we're experiencing during the pandemic and during lockdown feed into imposter syndrome?
0: So when we talk about imposter syndrome, one of the hallmarks of it are what we call ants automatic negative thoughts. So these are the thoughts that pop up as soon as you experience a particular situation that heightens your imposter syndrome. So when we talk about isolating from home and not being able to get feedback, some of the typical ants that people experience are mind reading, so thinking that people are thinking negative things about them, so no feedback means bad feedback. Uh, We talk about unfair comparisons, that they may feel like, well, my colleague or other people are doing better than me or they're going to advance faster than me. Labeling is another one where they will say, well, I'm just not good enough right now. I'm just not motivated. I can't do this. I don't think that I'm able to really get up to speed with what's needed to be a successful freelancer or successful podcaster, successful creative or successful whatever profession they are pursuing. And when you have those thoughts running through your mind and the imposter syndrome is fully activated, it can cause a certain level of stress and anxiety that makes people feel very much uncomfortable and uncertain about their futures. So you can imagine they are then thinking, well, maybe I'll lose my job because I'm not good enough. Maybe I won't have opportunities. So these are some of the things that we're seeing come up in these situations and in these conditions.
1: What made you want to specialise in this area?
0: In my training, one of the areas that was not always examined fully was career development. So I got my doctorate in counseling psychology. And Counseling psychology, as opposed to something like clinical psychology, is known for an emphasis and a focus on vocational development or career development. So as I did my training, that became one of my areas of specialization, wherein I felt that when we think about identity development, we look at so many other aspects of our identities, but our vocational or our career identity tends to be overlooked, even though it's such a critical aspect for so many of us of who we are, how we represent ourselves within the workplace or in the world space as a whole. So after I graduated in 2006 and decided to pursue a private practice, my wife, Lisa Orbe Austin, and I decided in 2007 to start our practice. Uh, And in doing so, we started to focus on psychotherapy, but quickly also transitioned to career and executive coaching. That in addition to psychotherapy, where I work with people who are experiencing anxiety, depression, and relational issues, that focusing in on career was a key aspect that was an area of growth where people didn't learn about how to choose a career while they were in training. People didn't know how to manage their careers. And so we decided to focus on that arena. And as we started to see more clients who were professionals in a variety of industries, whether it's finance, whether it's corporate law, whether it's more creative professionals. One of the things we kept seeing, and these are all high-achieving people, were concerns about confidence, not feeling that they were good enough, feeling that they were a fraud, feeling that they needed to overwork to prove that they belonged. We quickly then realized that this was imposter syndrome. So as we were doing the work, it wasn't something that we specifically set out to do and say we're going to focus on imposter syndrome. But as we saw more clients in the space, we realized that this is something we really wanted to be able to address and to help them successfully overcome it, to be able to live the best life possible and to be able to pursue the careers that they truly wanted to to pursue and be satisfied and successful in doing so.
1: How has imposter syndrome changed with the advent of the internet?
0: Part of what we talk about when we talk about these automatic negative thoughts is this compare and despair that we talk about, these unfair comparisons. And social media has caused an explosion of this compare and despair when you're trying to look at other people's social media profiles and then comparing yourself to theirs and feeling that you're not measuring up. So whether it's your old high school classmate, whether it's someone that you even went to grade school with, you start to look at what perceive, what you perceive to be such a rich, happy, prosperous life. And then you begin to lament all the reasons why you're not good enough, you are a fraud, and you're not able to make it. So the social media aspect of it, and then just the nature now, especially with smartphones, of the 24-7 access to that really causes those with imposter syndrome to feel overwhelmed, to have constant automatic negative thoughts related to these comparisons, related to the mind reading, for instance, and saying, oh, when people see my profile, they'll know I'm not doing the things that I should be doing, and they'll know that I'm a fraud and I'm not good enough to be successful as they are. So we see a lot of that. We see our clients, for instance, will talk about that. And we actually have to then tell them to be on what we call a social media diet, where they actually have to curtail their use of social media to not have that level of response that causes them such a great deal of stress. So I often talk about the importance of assuming good intentions, that unfortunately, when we read into things, our natural preference oftentimes is to feel that there's a negative intention, that someone's trying to show off, someone's trying to make me look bad, someone's trying to demonstrate how much better they are than I am. And part of the social media reality is that it's not always accurate and that you want to be able to... Pair that with connecting with people offline. That if you see people doing things that are successful or that you tend to, you know, again, do the unfair comparison, you might want to connect with them, oddly enough, and just talk to them, reach out to them, see how their lives are actually going. It does provide an opportunity to build relationships if we can get past that initial feeling of. Envy, jealousy, a concern for not measuring up. It can actually then deepen relationships and realize, oh, they have struggles just as I do. And maybe we can help each other out. And maybe we can create a writing group. Maybe we can kind of pitch, you know, particular ideas and back and forth brainstorm. So it provides ways for you to turn that social media challenge into an opportunity for growth and development and connection. We see people being prosperous in a particular space and feel like, hey, how do? They, or how come they have that? And then you realize, well, wait a minute, I don't even want that, right? But being able to be honest with, well, what are my actual goals? What is my timeline? How do I control my particular pace and not compare myself to others? It is natural, just human nature to compare yourself to others, but being able to, in a moment turn inward and be honest and have that conversation with yourself to say, well, what am I really trying to do? What are my actual gifts and talents? How do I own those skill sets to really be able to clarify what direction I want to go in? So when we talk about imposter syndrome, one of the things that causes it to be sustained is this false narrative of who you are. And so you develop the story that, again, you're a fraud. You don't have skills or accomplishments. The reason you've been able to achieve any level of advancement is because people like you and they want to be nice to you. So being able to change that narrative and tell a more accurate story of who you are helps you to feel more comfortable with where you are at a given time and set up a space for yourself to move forward and, and advance. So, when we talk about the social media diet and typical diets, for instance, you know, there's some level of a change where you have some restriction and, and you moderate some of your consumption. So, it's the same thought and understanding where a client may say, I'm on social media literally all day long. I'm just scrolling through when I'm at work, uh, when I get home, as soon as I wake up. So the diet means you have to moderate your consumption. That the first thing you do when you wake up should not be go to your smartphone and begin consuming social media. Maybe you do some meditation. Maybe you wind into the day before you start that. Then we say, well, how much time do you think is reasonable for you to be on social media in a given day, then we set a particular timer and timeline for that. Maybe it's two hours during the course of the day. Maybe it's 30 minutes, depending upon their response to it and their stress levels in what they're consuming. And then also looking at the things that they are consuming. Like, is it going to Instagram it and seeing people's pictures and, and, you know, sayings that are very exciting and make them feel good? Or is it something else? Like the news that causes them a level of stress? Is it going to Facebook and seeing other people's, you know, successes and, and feeling that they're not measuring up? So we also focus in on the types of content they're consuming as well when we think about the social media diet.
1: In creative jobs, we often think that we're only as good as our last piece of work. Does that lead to imposter syndrome?
0: I did a. A video recently about imposter syndrome and creative professionals where I talked exactly about this phenomena.
1: The video is on Richard's Instagram and I've pasted the link in the show notes.
0: You always feel like you need to prove yourself time and time again that you cannot call yourself a writer until you do X. You cannot call yourself a successful artist until you do X. And the reality is, as you produce content, you are a creative professional. As You pro- you don't have to have a book to call yourself a writer. You don't have to be shown in a gallery to call yourself a visual artist. But there is a specific dilemma that creative professionals face in feeling exactly that, that, well, maybe I was lucky that one time to get published or, or have someone pay attention, but I fool them. Maybe I'm not going to be good enough to consistently do this. And that's where the imposter syndrome kicks in and convinces them that it was only just about luck that they had that one opportunity, but they're not going to continue to be this lucky. So they may need to give up and pursue something more traditional or more stable. They may need to not actually put anything out until it's perfect. So you will see either levels of perfectionism and overwork, And creative professionals who feel like, oh, if I'm going to be able to do this, I need it to be perfect. So I'm going to do my my best to kind of write, rewrite, edit, -edit," re-edit to the point of not actually being able to submit anything. Uh, Or you see people withdraw because they feel like, well, ultimately I'm not good enough and I just got lucky.
1: So how can creatives reframe these problems?
0: When we talk about mindsets we often talk about this notion of a growth mindset which means that being able to think that everything you do is a learning opportunity so if you're thinking about the fact that you want to try podcast or you want to write more or you want to do some other type of freelance activity provide yourself the space to say it will not be perfect But me going through the act of submitting and moving forward is a success. So with the growth mindset, it's really about learning, being a lifelong endeavor versus a fixed mindset, which says you either have it or you don't, that you either have a level of intellect or you either have a level of talent or you don't, rather than being able to say that effort plays a role in the growth mindset that If you put in the time, you put in the effort, you learn from your mistakes, you will develop over time, and the writer you were maybe five years ago will be different than the writer that you are today, but that you have to give yourself that room to do that and to make those mistakes and that any error is not an indication that you are a fraud or that you're not good enough, which oftentimes Individuals with imposter syndrome who take on a fixed mindset are always looking for that one signal that they're not good enough that proves their theory that they're a fraud. I would say that the environments in which they're in can cause the imposter syndrome to be sustained. So, for instance, talking about conditions today, if you have a manager whose expectations now are that you're available round the clock and you need to constantly be working, and they don't provide any positive feedback. It's all just criticism about what you're doing wrong. Those are what we call imposter-sustaining or posture-inducing work environments that make it difficult for you to reframe your perspective. Uh, as a freelancer, if you have For instance, an editor that may not be as open to providing useful feedback, uh, that also may be something that cultivates it in that way. And also, not talking about your imposter syndrome and suffering in silence also causes it to be sustained. So feeling that it's all right for you to talk about it. So oftentimes, people who have imposter syndrome are highly successful high-achieving individuals, and their concern is if they tell someone, oh, I feel like a fraud, that people will just dismiss them as being silly, uh, and they ridicule them and tell them they should just be grateful for all the things that they have, which then causes them to feel like, well, maybe I am being ungrateful, and maybe I should just accept where I'm at right now and deal with it in that way. So being able to know that when you do share it, there will be people who will be open to and accepting of and supportive of helping you overcome imposter syndrome. In addition to the growth mindset, the other piece of mentality that we talk about is this abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. So oftentimes we talk to our clients about having an abundance mentality, which means that there's more than enough opportunity to go around for everyone, that if you take on a scarcity mentality and you see someone else's success, you may feel like, oh, that's taking away from me. Being able to adopt that abundance mentality will make you feel that you can contribute and you can do things that will not be at the expense of others and vice versa. And, and learning about different people's stories mm. in terms of how they Got from where they are to where they are now to where they've come from is very important, and being able to whether it's a podcast and and quite honestly and quite naturally a good deal of our clients will talk to us about the podcast that they are consuming that they find to be helpful to thinking about their own journeys and and how to actually help them in moving forward. And so, to me, podcasts are the today's version of self-help books for a lot of clients where they feel like they have these opportunities to think about what they might need to change, how they can then make that change based on learning about other people's journeys.
1: Even before the pandemic struck, we were living through decades of digital transformation. I myself have trained many journalists used to working in print in how to use digital tools for their work and it's so much to learn and it's always changing. So how is the increasing digitalization of our lives fed into imposter syndrome?
0: One of the things that clients tend to do is to really think about what will be, what will resonate most for them relative to their own story and trying to find ways of internalizing some of the things that they're hearing about uh, and recognizing how technology plays a role in that. I think the power of podcasts and is the power of storytelling. That in a social media profile, it's not as rich in really being able to understand the full story behind whatever the post might be. Wherein with a podcast, someone can really dive deep and understand what are some of the challenges, how did they overcome it, and be able to apply some of that to their own lives but also recognizing some of the limits and the constraints of that reality and how their unique challenges may not always be reflected in some of these particular arenas and being able to talk them through what their unique game plan is, and action plan to change their lives. Part of what makes it difficult is that for many people who are high achievers with imposter syndrome, They feel that not being kind to themselves, berating themselves, pushing themselves, got them to where they are. So when we talk about changing the story, but also being kind to yourself, it's a different shift for them to really be able to feel that I can still be successful. I can still be motivated without necessarily beating myself up. I can really look at and own the pieces of myself that are strengths, that are skills, that are natural talents without feeling that I'm going to just rest on my laurels and and not be able to continue to push myself. So the greatest challenge is helping clients feel that if you give up this stance of, oh, I'm not good enough and berating myself, that you can still be successful because that's the anxiety and and concern that they have, Uh, interestingly enough, is if they are kinder to themselves, they may get too lazy and complacent and not continue to achieve. So that's the decision point that we get to with them to really talk about how to transform their story that allows them to still own the motivational aspects that made them successful. So we talk a good deal about The origin story of your imposter syndrome. And oftentimes we talk about your primary upbringing, wherein your caregivers, be it parents or other caregivers, created particular messages to you about who you were. And so when we talk about how imposter syndrome might develop early on, there are a variety of ways that we identify. The first is you being identified for one reason or another as the one who is more emotionally and socially adept versus another sibling who might be the smart one, right? And so these roles tend to then be crystallized in that manner, wherein even if you are just as smart, your grades are keep up just as much as the other sibling, you've gotten the label of, oh, well, she's the one who's much more of the socially connected and engaged one. And this one is a smart one. So as you move through the world, you then begin to feel that the one aspect that you have going for you is your social skills and abilities. And you leverage that and don't necessarily own your actual intellect And then feel that any success isn't really because of your achievement and your ability, but more so of your social engagement of people liking you and pushing you along. So that's one way that imposter syndrome can be developed at an early age. Another way is if you actually are identified as the smart one. Uh, And everyone tells you how naturally gifted you are, and everything comes easy to you through your early schooling years. But then you meet some level of adversity, and you don't do as well in a particular subject at a particular stage. And then you begin to feel that, well, maybe everyone lied to me. Maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was, and I am an imposter. And that shakes people up, and then they take that up moving forward and and are looking then for signs in their work lives as here's another reason that I'm not smart enough and here's another mistake that I made uh, and I need to work that much harder to prove that I belong. And then the third way that we talk about is an individual who was neglected in their upbringing. So they felt that they needed to be able to survive. And the only way they knew to survive was to really work hard, push themselves to be as successful as possible. But they never had the feedback due to the neglect to say, here are the things that you've done well, here are the things that you can further develop. And so they never are able to internalize their strengths and their skills either. And they then also feel that they're an imposter and they're not good enough because they don't know how to actually own some of the strengths that they have. So it's not a diagnosable mental disorder, right? And so no one says, okay, you're going to go to a doctor and someone's going to tell you you have post syndrome, but it does impact your functioning in a variety of ways. So it is a particular phenomenon that we want to pay closer attention to because it does have links to burnout. It does have links to stress. It does have links to overall functioning So being able to feel that you can overcome imposter syndrome uh, is one of the critical aspects that we try to communicate. So it's not oftentimes people say, well, can I be cured of it? And, And again, since it's not a disorder, it's not a cure, it's really diminishing its power that you do not let those triggers that come up when you have a new opportunity. So if I think about freelancers, Oftentimes, a trigger could be taking on a new project that you might feel like, okay, this is going to be the time that I'm exposed as not being a good writer, uh, and I know that I'm an imposter. When you defeat it, you can say, well, I've done a good deal of pieces, and I know that my process is this way, so I'm more than confident that I'm going to be able to take on this new project and make sure that it will be successful as well. So that's one of the things that I want to highlight when we think about imposter syndrome is diminishing its power over your day-to-day functioning and, and your pursuit of your goals.
1: Do you have three top tips to help freelancers dealing with imposter syndrome?
0: So the first thing is to know your triggers. So if you go on social media and you recognize or the internet, you recognize that particular triggers are seeing someone who's achieved something or, or seeing a particular bit of news, you want to make sure that once you identify the triggers, you then take steps to neutralize it. And one of those steps is the second part, which is to really continue to own your own strengths and skills. So being able to honestly assess and say, here are the things that I do well, let me go back to that. How do I continue to leverage that? Uh, And then the last piece of it is making sure sure you have a self-care strategy for yourself in dealing with the stresses that may come with dealing with social media, dealing with the internet, dealing with imposter syndrome, uh, this is one of the critical aspects of the process is helping you to figure out what you need to reduce your stress and really highlight and accentuate your self-care. So if it's meditation, if it's exercises, if it's talking to a friend, if it's journaling, being able to institute these self-care strategies in a consistent way will be helpful in managing some of the concerns that pop up through dealing with social media and the internet.
1: So thanks to Richard Alba-Austin for talking to me about imposter syndrome, social media and how both affect us while we live lockdown lives, waiting for a global pandemic to end. His book, Own Your Greatness, is out now and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. That's it for this episode. If you liked it, why don't give the podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? And if you want, you can get in touch, as ever, over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, the newsletter at zhachandrika.substack.com, and you can always send a pigeon. We'll have to isolate for 14 days before I let it in. Anyway, (laughs) bye for now.